Chapters twenty three and twenty four of The Clock Struck One by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty three The Madness of Lambert Joad. With the recovered manuscript in her hands, with the knowledge where it had been found, and with the memory of the clock being wrong, Dora felt convinced that Joad was guilty of the crime without doubt he had designed to kill edermont on that night and had prepared the alibi so as to prove his innocence should such proof be needed but what was his motive for the perpetration of so detestable a crime why had he stolen the manuscript and why had he not destroyed so dangerous a piece of evidence dora believed that the answer to these questions was to be found in the manuscript itself the reading of it would probably solve the whole mystery having accomplished her task she slipped the paper into the pocket of her dress ran out of the house and having locked the door repaired to the place where she had hidden her bicycle to give colour to her excuse to joad she mounted and rode down the road for some considerable distance indeed she felt inclined there and then to go to canterbury and assure allen that he was safe and that she had won a fortune by discovering the actual criminal but her desire to do away with any possible suspicions on the part of joad induced her to abandon such intention when he found the manuscript gone he might suspect her if she went directly into canterbury whereas if she behaved as usual he could have no doubts on the subject besides said dora to herself as she turned her face towards chillum joad never goes to his cottage during the day and therefore he will not find out his loss until to-night should he suspect that i have discovered his secret he may do me an injury or take to flight i must allay his suspicions and see allen about the manuscript we will read it together and then take such steps as may be necessary to save him and arrest joad on approaching the gates of the red house dora received a shock for on glancing at joad's cottage she saw its owner coming out of the door perhaps her questions about the clock had induced him to depart from his usual routine and by rousing his suspicions had created a desire to assure himself that the manuscript was safe but whatever might be the reason dora had never known joad to revisit his domicile in the daytime a qualm seized her lest he should guess what she had done but the memory of what was at stake nerved her to resistance and she confronted the approaching old man with a mien cool and composed certainly she needed all her courage at that moment for joad was conducting himself like a lunatic his face was redder than usual with suppressed rage he swung round his arms in a threatening manner and hardly seeing her in his blind fury babbled about his loss dora did not need to hear his words to be assured that he had discovered the loss of the manuscript but she strained her ears to listen in the hope that joad might say something likely to incriminate himself lost lost muttered joad as he shuffled near her and after all my care what am i to do now what 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 is anything wrong mr joad the man paused before dora with a dazed look and suddenly cooled down in the most surprising manner knowing the dangerous position in which he was placed by the loss of the manuscript he saw the necessity for dissimulation his rage gave place to smiles his furious gestures to fawning no miss dora there is nothing wrong i have lost a precious book that is all but i know who took it he broke out with renewed fury dora felt nervous and for the moment she thought that he suspected her but the next moment still talking of the manuscript under the flimsy disguise of a book his words reassured her 
oh yes he repeated i know who stole it but i'll be revenged then he shook his fists in the air as though invoking a curse on someone and returned to the red house when dora reached her own room she took out the manuscript it was a lengthy effusion evidently carefully prepared and certainly clearly written with a thrill of excitement the girl sat down to read the story and learn from it if possible the motive of joad in becoming a midnight assassin before she had read two lines meg knocked at the door dora hid away the precious paper hastily in her wardrobe and called on meg to enter dinner is up miss said the stout countrywoman and mr joad waits he don't look so well miss dora sheets ain't nothing to face of he is he in a bad temper meg lordy no miss he ghastly pale and quiet like meg's report proved to be true joad's rage had died out into a subdued nervousness and his red face had paled to a yellowish hue he said little and ate little but dora noticed that he drank more than his ordinary allowance of whisky and water every now and then he cast a furtive glance round the room as though waiting anxiously for the unexpected to happen his conduct reminded dora of the late mr edermont's behaviour in church during the litany and there was no doubt in her mind as to joad's feelings he had received a shock and in consequence thereof he was thoroughly frightened towards the end of the meal he grew more composed under the influence of the spirits and water and it was then that he abruptly informed dora that he was going into canterbury you are going into canterbury she echoed fairly astonished this afternoon yes i have not been in the town for months but i wish to consult a lawyer about the loss of your book i suppose joad raised his heavy eyes and sent a piercing glance in her direction yes he said in a quiet tone i wish to consult about that loss will you see mr carver on the whole said joad with great deliberation i think i shall see mr carver he knows much he may as well know more what do you mean asked dora startled by the significance of this speech you will know to-morrow miss carew he left the room and shortly afterwards the house anxious to learn if he intended to fly and so escape the consequences of his crime dora followed him down the gate this had not been kept locked of late and joad swung it easily open stepping out he cast a glance to right and left in an uneasy fashion and suddenly staggered against the wall with his hand to his heart in an instant dora was beside him what is the matter mr joad only the old trouble my heart my heart he muttered it will kill me some day the sooner the better now dora took this speech as an acknowledgment of his guilt and withdrew a little from his neighbourhood joad took no notice of this shrinking but explained his plans i go to my cottage to change my clothes he said calmly then i will get a trap from the hotel and drive to canterbury to see mr carver you need not expect me at the red house to-night miss dora i shall stay in my own cottage it will not do for me to be out after dark why not mr joad you are in no danger i am in danger of losing my life retorted the old man and flinging her detaining hand rudely aside he ran across the road with an activity surprising in one of his years and sedentary life when he disappeared dora returned to the house 
she was at a loss what to do with regard to joad his actions and speech were so strange that she was afraid lest he should fly if he did his complicity in the crime might never be proved and so allen's safety might be compromised dora was determined that this should not be she decided to get into canterbury before joad to see mr carver and ask his advice afterwards to call on allen and show him the manuscript in some way or other she would contrive to circumvent the discovered villain having come to this decision dora put the manuscript in her pocket assumed her hat and gloves and took out her bicycle joad was not yet out of his cottage so she hurried in hot haste and spun up the road at full speed by the time he had got to the hotel and ordered the trap she hoped to be in canterbury preparing the ground for his arrival so that his efforts to fly if indeed he intended to do so might be baffled in every direction dora felt that a crucial moment was at hand and that it behoved her to have all her wits about her if she hoped to save allen and win the fifty thousand pounds on her arrival at canterbury dora lost no time in seeking the lawyer he was busy in his dingy back office as usual and betrayed no surprise at seeing his visitor with a dry smile he shook hands and placed a chair for her then he gave his explanation of her appearance you have come to ask further about your five hundred pounds said he if so i am afraid you are wasting your time i do not intend to waste my time on that matter mr carver replied dora quietly nor yours either the object of my visit is far more important i have discovered who killed mr edermont if she hoped to astonish mr carver by this speech she was never more mistaken in her life he did not display any surprise but merely laughed and rubbed his dry hands together have i then to congratulate you on gaining fifty thousand pounds he asked satirically you can judge for yourself mr carver said dora quietly and then and there without further preamble she related the finding of the manuscript the behaviour of joad and the evidence of the clock carver betrayed his interest by frequent raisings of his eyebrows but otherwise remained motionless until the conclusion of her story she might as well have been speaking to a stone and this manuscript he asked have you it with you yes dora laid it on the table here it is the story of mr edermont's early life you have read it no not yet i have not had time to do so i have brought it in to read with allen that is unless you require it carver thought for a moment and shook his head no he said in an amiable tone i do not require it at the present moment i shall see mr joad first and then call on dr scott to hear his and your report on this paper do you think mr joad is guilty asked dora replacing the manuscript in her pocket circumstantial evidence is strongly against him replied mr carver cautiously but i shall reserve my opinion until i hear his story do you think he will call on you he told you that he intended to do so miss carew very true mr carver all the same he may have done so to save time for all we know he may design to go straight to the railway station and catch the london express oh i can frustrate that scheme said carver rising mr joad's conduct is sufficiently suspicious to justify his detention on the ground of complicity if not of actual guilt a word to inspector jedd and mr joad will not get away by the express go and see dr scott my dear young lady and leave me to deal with your friend you won't let him escape no said carver dryly on the whole i had rather you got the fifty thousand pounds than any one else 
and then he conducted dora to the door with a courtesy he had never extended before to any female client and at which his clerks were greatly astonished congratulating herself on having thus made all safe dora went to see allen he was still unwell but felt better than he had done on the previous day he was surprised at her visit and gathered from her bright looks that she had something of importance to communicate to him what is it dora he asked anxiously good or bad news good you are safe then you intend to marry joad said allen in a tone of despair indeed i intend no such thing mr joad has other things to think about besides marriage what other things how to save his neck yes you may well look astonished allen joad and none other killed my guardian here is the proof and dora flung the manuscript on the table chapter twenty four the stolen manuscript allen looked on the manuscript thus suddenly produced in mute wonder with a swift glance he questioned dora as to what it was for he could not yet bring himself to believe that it was the lost paper and how she had come by it the girl afforded him at once a concise explanation it is the paper containing an account of the early life of mr edermont said she with a nod the manuscript stolen from the bureau on account of which we believe the murder to have been perpetrated i found it in the cottage of joad in the cottage of joad echoed allen slowly how did he come by it by robbery and murder he is the guilty person dora are you sure he proved an alibi you know i am aware of that and i am aware also how he prepared such alibi it is a long story allen i shall tell it to you and then we will read the manuscript together i am all attention cried allen settling himself on the sofa go on you most wonderful girl i am a most unfortunate girl said dora sadly by my discovery i have saved you from arrest and perhaps condemnation and myself from a marriage which revolted me but what is left after all my dear nothing nothing we can never be anything but friends to one another for our lives have been ruined by the sins of other people it is cruelly hard you speak only too truly dora said allen taking her hand and i can give you no comfort i can give myself no consolation your father's crime has parted us and we must suffer vicariously for his guilt for a moment or so they remained silent thinking over the hopelessness of their position but matters were too important and pressing to admit of much time being wasted in useless lamentations dora was the first to recover her speech and forthwith related the events of the day from the conversation of meg gance down to the visit to carver allen interrupted her frequently with exclamations of surprise you are right dora he cried when she had ended how wonderfully you have worked out the matter without doubt joad was hidden in the house while lady burville saw edermont after she left he must have killed his friend and secured the manuscript no doubt he hid again when he heard me coming and saw me not in the road as he alleges but in the study oh the villain and he would have saved his neck at the expense of mine he had not even that excuse allen for owing to his manipulation of the hall clock there was absolutely no suspicion that he was guilty he accused you to gain me but now i have caught him in his own trap and no doubt mr carver will have him arrested this night i hope so said dr scott angrily he is a wicked old ruffian 
but i cannot understand why he killed mr edermont the manuscript may inform us said dora taking it up let us read it at once allen consented eagerly and dora smoothing the pages began to read what may be termed the confession of julian dargill alias edermont some parts of the narrative were concisely told others expanded beyond all due bounds and as a literary attempt the story was a failure but for style or elegance of language the young couple cared little they wished to learn the truth and they found it in the handwriting of the dead man my name is julian dargill began the manuscript abruptly i was born at christ church in hants where my family lived for many generations my parents died whilst i was at oxford and at the age of twenty i found myself my own master for ten years i travelled in the company of a young man whom i had met at the university he was not a gentleman but he had a clever brain and was an amusing companion so i paid his expenses for the pleasure of his conversation and company when i returned home i left mallison for such was his name john mallison in my london rooms and came down to my house at christchurch here i took up my residence and here i fell in love with laura burville she was a charming blonde delicate and tiny as a fairy full of life and vivacity her face was singularly beautiful her figure perfection and she had the gift of bringing sunshine wherever she went needless to say i fell deeply in love with her and would have made her my wife but for the foolish behaviour of her parents these were religious fanatics of peculiarly rigid principles and they disapproved of my tendency to a gay life how they came to have so charming a daughter i could never understand miss treherne or shall i call her by the fonder name of laura had three suitors myself dr scott a widower and captain george carew of the merchant service scott was a handsome and clever man but poor and reckless in his way of life his wife had died when his son allen was born and scott left the child to be brought up by the nurse while he went flirting with all the pretty girls in the country mr and mrs treherne disapproved of him also on account of this behaviour so far as i saw neither dr scott nor myself had any chance of marrying laura for her parents favoured the suit of her third admirer george carew i hated and feared that man he was a brutal sailor with a vindictive spirit and an unusually violent temper everybody yielded to his imperious spirit and he rode roughshod over any opposition that might be made to his wishes he fell in love with laura and determined to marry her at my pretensions and those of scott he laughed scornfully and warned both that he would permit neither of us to interfere with his design he was cunning enough to ingratiate himself with the parents of laura by pretending to be religious and ostensibly became more of a fanatic than the trehernes themselves laura was carried away by the violence of his wooing her parents were delighted with his pretended conversion and against their support and laura's timidity i can call her yielding by no other name scott and myself could do nothing carew married her i admitted to state that carew was not rich he was part owner in a ship called the silver arrow which traded to the cape of good hope and sometimes went as far as zanzibar when the marriage took place carew was forced to take command of his ship for a voyage to the cape he wished laura to go also but this she refused to do and by offering a dogged resistance to his violent temper she managed to get her own way for once this i learnt from her afterwards alas had she only been as determined over refusing marriage with carew all this sorrow might not have come upon us 
but she was quite infatuated with the insolent sailor and while he was with her i believe she loved him after a fashion nevertheless i do not think her passion either for carew or for myself was very strong leaving then for his voyage carew established his wife in a cottage near my house and went away almost immediately after the honeymoon her parents had left christchurch shortly before to take possession of some property in antrim ireland which had been left to them laura was quite alone and found her state of grass widowhood sufficiently tiresome she wished for distraction and encouraged myself and dr scott to call upon her as we were still in love with her we accepted her invitation only too gladly and for six months we devoted ourselves to her amusement then came the news that the silver arrow had been wrecked on the coast of guinea the information was brought by the first mate who had been picked up in an open boat by a passing ship his companions were dead of hardship and suffering and it was only with the greatest difficulty that he was brought round again on his return to england he told his tale to the owners of the ship and then communicated the news to mrs carew without doubt her husband was drowned and so after six months of married life she found herself a widow but ill provided with money as part owner of the silver arrow the dead carew had some claim to a portion of the insurance but owing to some commercial and legal trickery no money was obtainable from this source laura had barely sufficient to live on it may be guessed what effect poverty had upon her refined and pleasure-loving nature she refused to go to her parents in ireland as their gloomy religious views were alien to her more aesthetic leanings but she could not remain in christchurch with hardly sufficient to sustain life dr scott offered to marry her but he was too poor to give her the luxuries of life and she refused to become his wife or stepmother to his little boy then i offered myself and was accepted i was not so handsome as scott or so manly and daring as her first husband but i was rich and while pretending to love me but little she married me for my fortune i was content to take her even on such terms and we arranged to become husband and wife owing to the recent death of carew we could not marry openly in christ church and as laura had never truly loved the sailor she did not care to pay a tribute to his hated memory by a year of mourning rather was she anxious to marry me at once and for this purpose she went up to london after a decent interval to avert suspicion i followed and we were married shortly afterwards by special license in the church of st pancras john mallison was the best man and arranged all the details for me these things happened some months after carew's supposed death then we travelled for a year and at the end of it came back with our child dora to christ church where our child said dora interrupting her reading what does that mean allan no doubt that dargill adopted you as his child after the death of carew but i was his ward here why does he not call me his ward in this manuscript read on said allan you may discover the reason we took up our abode at my mansion in christ church read dora swiftly and for a time we were fairly happy but i was not altogether pleased with my wife she did not love me nor did she make any pretence to do so indeed i believe she despised me for my weakness of body and amiability of temper dr scott began to call again and laura encouraged his visits i forbade him the house but my wife and himself defied me and i was powerless to control their behaviour one evening after a scene with laura i left the house scott was in the habit of crossing the lawn at dusk and entering the drawing-room to flirt with my wife while i was reading in the library 
i also came the same way at times in preference to going round by the door and one evening entering thus i chanced upon them the discovery resulted in a violent scene and next morning i left for london vowing never to return until my wife dismissed scott from her thoughts the departure saved my life while i was away carew returned to christchurch he had been saved by some negroes on the guinea coast and had been detained in captivity by them for over a year finally he escaped managed to get to england and came to claim his wife when he heard of our marriage he went mad with rage he accused me of corrupting his wife of spreading a false report of his death and finally swore that he would not rest until he had killed me i verily believe that he was bent on doing so notwithstanding my innocence in the matter and had i not been absent in london he would have shot me without mercy as it was he committed a murder in the hope of killing me my wife as i must still call her had no opportunity of warning me as carew kept such a close watch on her he expected me to return and took up his quarters in the house with the avowed intention of killing me laura sent for scott to see how she could save me rather for her own sake than for mine and he came to see her one evening by stealth carew had heard from one of the servants that i was in the habit of crossing the lawn and entering the drawing-room when he saw scott approaching in the same direction he thought it was me and being provided with a pistol which he always carried he shot the man through the heart when he found out whom he had killed he fled to escape being arrested but his last words to laura were that he would hunt me down and kill me all this came out at the inquest which was reported in the morning planet under the heading of a romantic tragedy on hearing how my life was sought by carew still at large i left my lodgings and went into hiding what else could i do i am a weak and puny man and morally speaking i am a coward it is not my fault i was born so i dared not face this brute in his ungoverned rage and so i hid then john mallison came to my rescue he was rather like me and he proposed to adopt my name and go to america letting carrie know in some way how he had pled mallison was a brave man and i knew that he could hold his own better than i against carew he assumed my name and i supplied him with funds carew saw him by chance in regent street and in the distance took him for me mallison to encourage this false recognition fled to america and carew followed then i prepared for my own safety i took the name of julian edermont and transferred my property in the funds to that name i bought through carver the red house near canterbury and i made it secure against robbers and my enemy carew then i went to live there i was afraid to go back to laura for whom i provided amply lest carew should hear of it and i wrote to her about our child laura was not a good mother and i was afraid she would neglect dora some letters passed between us while i was in london for i did not give her my new address or name and she ultimately sent dora to me since then dora has lived with me as my ward for i was afraid to say that she was my daughter lest carew should find out his adopted daughter of course interrupted allan he was afraid your father might kill him and take you away later on i found my old college companion joad starving in london and took him to live with me dora went on mallison came back from america and i provided for him likewise so far i felt safe but all these years i have had a belief that carew would find me out in spite of all my precautions and kill me 
if i am found murdered george carew will be the culprit as no one else has any reason to wish for my death i am at peace with all men to punish him i leave by will the bulk of my fortune to him or her who finds out and punishes george carew for his villainy i hope my daughter dora may be so fortunate she need have no compunction in doing so for carew is not her father she is my child born of my marriage with laura and i only called her carew and my ward to do away with any possible discovery by carew the certificate of her birth is with my family lawyer in lincoln's inn fields dora cried allen starting up you are not carew's daughter not the daughter of the man who killed my father edermont dargill my father stammered dora what does it mean mean cried allen taking her in his arms that your father did not kill mine and we can marry End of chapters 23 and 24